Welcome to Orioles on the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we are firmly in list season. We've had several major top 100 prospects lists or top 101 prospects lists come out in the last week or so. And we're going to dive into those as Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus release their rankings with a strong presence from the Orioles organization. We're also going to break down MLB Pipeline's positional rankings as they get ready to release their own top 100 prospects list. But first, um, as we like to do at the top of all of our episodes, we have some new members of our Patreon community to welcome. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, as we're, what, three weeks away from spring training, which is crazy to say. Um, we get, we're starting to see more people get excited about baseball. Got three new signups. Always appreciative and always apologies if my pronunciations are wrong. But first up was Callie Arutia who is a Marlins fan, but he's moving to the area and wants to adopt the Orioles. This is American League team. I'm all about that. And, you know, <laughs> uh, might have been able to pick uh, another organization that isn't too painful in recent years. But uh, the Orioles are in an upswing, so hopefully that can offset some Marlins trauma because he also has a Marlins podcast uh, called Battered Marlins Fans. And, yeah, hey, Trey Mancini signed with the Marlins, so there's the connection already. He's bringing it, bringing it from Florida up to Baltimore. Next up, we have Jerome Marshall. He signed up single A for a year straight up. Love when people do that. And Elijah Ginsburg also did that. He went straight to double A. And that is Elijah Ginsburg, Ginsburg, the same one from our fellow Believe Orioles podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, The Warehouse. Uh, so yeah, really appreciate that. Give those guys a listen to. They're very smart and know what they're talking about. Um, yeah, at some point we'll have to team up down the line as fellow believers. We'll dive in first to the Baseball America list as they release their top 100 prospect rankings. And with little surprise, Jackson Holiday checks in at number one. It has now been three straight years for the Orioles having a number one prospect atop Baseball America's preseason top 100 list as Holiday follows Adley Rutzman in 2022 and Jackson Holiday in 2023. The other five players from the Orioles organization to make the list include catcher Samuel Basayo at number 10, Kobe Mayo at 25th, Heston Kerstad 41st, Colton Cowser 34th, and D.L. Hall, who by Baseball America's standards is still prospect eligible coming in at 93. Baseball America and their team, as usual, do a lot of excellent work. And certainly, if you're a subscriber, go over and check that out at BaseballAmerica.com. If you're not a subscriber, think about getting that for probably the uh, industry standard prospect coverage for a long time. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. I think we knew the Orioles have a strong farm system with a lot of top players in it. But what does the fact they land with six after seeing several notable graduations say about this organization? Uh, the talent pipeline remains pretty strong. Uh, Basayo up there in competition for potentially being the next number one prospect in all of baseball at some point. Um, but, I mean, just the, you had six, which was tied for the most among every other organization. So that's obviously a positive to see there. Even if you take away like DL Hall, who probably shouldn't be on this list anymore, I know Baseball America has their strict standards they stick they stick to as far as like innings and bats or whatever. But that's why he's still there. But even then, I think Joey Ortiz was like just missed their list, so he's going to be top one back on their top one hundred uh, at some point fairly early on. And honestly, I don't I don't know if we were going to dive into this or not. Uh, but I just kind of add to the six that were there. What was most telling for me is I, I love the whole like week that Baseball America does here with all their like uh, extra articles that they do that surround the top 100 list, breaking down you know the top tools and, and everything else. But the guys who they talk about who just missed their list, guys who received votes, I mean, that was an extremely long list of guys who were receiving votes. Enrique Bradfield, Chase McDermott, uh, Seth Johnson, Cade Povich, Connor Norby, Dylan Beavers, I think I missed some. I didn't even get everybody. I was trying to find the list real quick, and uh, I could see it. Um, it's like 10 deep of guys who received, at least received a vote. Um, I, I don't know how many other teams had that many guys who just missed the list, but 
that is a whole slew of players. Actually, I found it here really quick. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Connor Norby, Enrique Bradfield, Chase McDermott, Dylan Beaver, Seth Johnson, Kate Povich all received votes for a top 100. So obviously Joey yeah. Ortiz as well. And Joey Ortiz. Yeah, just so. missed. Yeah. Stacked. But we knew that. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting that Ortiz and Norby fell off, maybe just because with the new international guy from the Padres getting on there and, and the new draft picks. But like you said, they'll be back on there as soon as there's some graduations early in the season. You would you would assume, uh, yeah, it's just really cool. It, DL Hall, if we can get into that for a second, I mean, I know he can still be like the Josh Hader type closer, multi inning reliever, or even a starter. Maybe if the Orioles don't make a trade or sign someone for the starting rotation, he could really try to earn that fourth or fifth starter's role in spring training. But yeah, it's weird that they don't go by the innings that, or they only go by the innings slash at bats and not by time on active roster. But it is what it is. It's five top fifty guys, including two in the top ten. I put on our TikTok and YouTube Shorts pages if you want to check those out. Some clips from the Baseball America Future Projections podcast for, uh, when they were talking about Holiday and Basayo. They're very excited about these guys just as much as we are. Basayo. Like he's the one that I think there was an article they had about who could be the number one next year. And Basaya was a candidate. And wouldn't that be something for four for four? Let's let's continue to stretch this record and make sure it's never broken. But uh, yeah, just really cool to see these guys up there. It's no real surprises. I think, you know, Kowser, I think there was a lot of good stuff about him that I saw this week as far as how hard he hits the ball. Oh, that's the one thing I really wanted to talk about was the exit velocities, the average exit velocities of all the position player prospects on the list. The Orioles had all their guys were like in the top 20 to top 21. I think the lowest was Basayo at 90.1 average or 90.3 or something like that. He was just under the top 20 at 18 years old. So yeah, even Holiday was up there in like the top 20% of all the top 100 prospects. So we hit the ball hard here in Baltimore. You want know, to focus on Holiday for a minute. And we've talked a lot about Holiday over the last year or so, and for good reason. He's, I think, at this point, the consensus top prospect in the game. But, Nick, as you look at him as a prospect – do you feel like he's really scratched the surface yet of the kind of player he can be? Nope. Not even a little bit. Uh, to be, This is part of what we've talked about a lot in the past. It's like Jackson Holiday, when he was the pick, I think we were kind of like, all right, uh, not who we were expecting. Uh, and then over the years, it's always been like, yeah, he's good. But then, I mean, you have like Fangraphs, Baseball America, Pipeline. I mean, you have so many other outlets and just not even guys who write for these national outlets, but prominent, uh, you know, prospect evaluators, you know, you know, we follow, we all follow on Twitter. You're like, they're really hyping up Jackson holiday as like the future top prospect in all of baseball. And I always felt like we, we were always the lower guys on, on holiday for all this time. And now you just, you just look at some of the numbers. And if you look at uh, baseball, America also released their top 30 individual team list today. And you go through holiday scatter report, shout out John Mioli for these amazing reports as always. But I mean, his hard hit rate was 45.5% this past year. That was up from 34.6% in his pro debut. His 90th percentile exit velo went from 99.4 miles per hour to 102.5 miles per hour. He still like got the baby face and is still not this. Look at his dad. He's going to get bigger. I can't remember what I was listening to or was that the baseball, the future projection. They were talking about this. Like he's going to get a lot bigger. We saw it last year. I'm anxious to see what he looks like out there in the field this year. He's still at 19, 20 years old. Um, as he grows into that power, I think that's going to start to really shine through. I don't think he's going to end up being a guy who is more like doubles oriented. I think that over the fence power, he started pulling the ball more. We saw that at the end of last year, especially when he got up to AAA, a lot of pull home runs. I think just that power, that over the fence power is going to really start to shine this year, whether it's in AAA or in the big leagues doesn't matter completely agree i you saw the jump he made from when he was drafted till last year well i just just look at the videos of him like he's been working hard this offseason there's constantly videos of him 
think he was working out with Colton Kowser, and he's just crushing the ball <laughs> poolside. Obviously, it's not the same as an in-game situation, but I think he's going to come in. He's already hitting the ball hard. He just needs to hit it in the air. I think he, the power is not a question for me. I feel like it's 25-plus per season home run power. Uh, the speed, 20 stolen bases a year. Like He's probably going to be a more valuable fantasy baseball player than Gunnar Henderson if you play fantasy. But you know we'll see who's the more valuable on the actual Orioles, which one will win an MVP first. But uh, yeah, I am more and more, I think he's making the team out of spring training, actually. Um, it's just I'm getting that vibe. And I hope other players like are able to have a chance to make it out of spring training as well, like Kobe Mayo, Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad. But there's not been any action in Major League Baseball. So maybe in spring training, some some of that clutter will be sent out in a trade package at one point. But just I think Holiday is – he's number one pretty much human, unanimously anywhere you look for a reason. And, uh, yeah, he's only going to get better, obviously. He just turned 20 years old. And these guys improve pretty quickly when they're this young. So it's exciting. We're going to touch on all of these names at some point tonight. But as we sort through the list, we're going to kind of take different things that are unique about each list. And in Baseball America's case, one thing that jumps out is D.L. Hall's inclusion. Uh, Baseball America, as I mentioned earlier, and Bob touched on as well, does have different eligibility standards in a lot of outlets, including ourselves. Uh, for us, if a player is no longer eligible for Rookie of the Year award, they are no longer a prospect. Baseball America, though, uses a little bit different criteria where they focus on time actually spent on the field and not days on the active roster. By that criteria, days on the active roster, Hall is not a prospect. But when you factor in that he has not thrown that many innings yet, he's still a prospect in Baseball America's eyes. So... Let's talk about him for a minute, and we're going to talk about him a lot in our next episode, which is going to focus on the Orioles pitching staff. But he's had his ups and downs, but we saw last year in the major leagues down the stretch what he's capable of doing. How do the two of you feel about his prospects going into this season and beyond? I'm feeling really good about Hall. I feel like the way he ended last season out of the bullpen – Late in the season and then in the playoffs, he was like one of the only guys who was just it was only two outings, but he pitched really good both times and the walks were okay. And this is him with diminished stuff. I mean, we knew he didn't get that velocity completely back yet. And I think that'll probably be the thing in spring training. Everyone's gonna want to see the velocity first time Dale Hall gets out there, because I think he can he's gonna be able to ramp it up if especially if he's focusing out of the bullpen to close to triple digits. And yeah, if he was pitching that well by like hovering around the mid nineties, what's going to happen when he can get up in the upper nineties consistently. And I think bare minimum, he's like a shutdown reliever, whether it's closer or just multi-inning late inning guy, high leverage guy, like he's going to have a lot of value. And I think relief pitchers kind of get the short shrift when it comes to prospect rankings and, Obviously, there's a reason for that because they don't affect as much of a percentage of a game. But and plus the fact that he could also still have a chance to start. We'll see what happens. But yeah, still still high on Hall. Uh, he had the prospect fatigue. Now he's got the prospect second wind, I guess, according to Baseball America. And my son just asked a question in the chat. Who's your favorite prospect? <laughs> Deal Hall right now would have to be since I'm talking about him right this moment. Uh, but yeah, Deal Hall. I'm still a fan. Yeah, I, I would like to dive into him more in uh, part two of this. Uh, if you're watching live, we'll get into that later tonight. If you're on the podcast feed, uh, that'll come out, what, Friday uh, morning? But I think for right now, with Hall, since he's on the list, we've got to talk about his, his prospect status. I think the positive for Hall going into this year, we can debate starter, reliever, and what that path is uh, later on. But I think at the minimum, he showed that floor of shutdown, lights out, late inning reliever. He's shown that floor now over the parts of two seasons. And the other big question mark around Hall was the walks, obviously. That's been a big issue. And in the big leagues, he's been effective. Yeah, those were you know one inning stints. Those were out of the bullpen. But still, he's shown an extremely high floor. 
and he's really cleaned up the walks, even if it was just in a relief role. So I think going into 2024, and I mean, the Orioles, we've talked about, they put a lot of time and energy and effort into uh, ramping him back up, that deload process that he went through last year. And for him to work, even if it was a methodical pace, the Orioles believe in him so much that they were willing to do that with him. They got the velo back up eventually by the end of the year. Like Bob said, he was in the bullpen throwing gas. So arrows pointed back up for Hall. And I think regardless of what role you see him in, it's hard not to be excited about what he could, could potentially show us this year. Before we go to um, baseball prospectus list, we do have a question in here from Richard on YouTube that I think is pretty interesting. We were just discussing it a little bit at the top of this segment. Joey Ortiz did not make Baseball America's list despite ranking 63rd midseason. What are your guys' thoughts about that? I don't get it either, uh, Richard, in the comments here. Um, What did he do to fall that far? I don't know. I think, again, it's probably a little bit of prospect fatigue. Like He's been around. He got a taste of the majors. Obviously, that wasn't like a real run or anything. He's a wizard defensively. Everyone knows that. He hits the ball hard. He could lift it more. He could chase less. But to me, the bat doesn't need to be excellent when you're that good of a defender. And I think his bat can be above average at the major league level if he's given a serious chance. Um, To me, he's a top 100 prospect. I think he's right up there closer to top 50 personally, just when I put together my personal top 100. But yeah, I think it's just prospect fatigue. Him and Connor Norby both. I mean, I think they just, they've been in AAA a while. You know, there's only so much you can say about someone and get excited about them. You're always looking for the new, the new hotness. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's the case, but he's still a great prospect. And he's almost 26. He's 25 this year. So it, it, it makes sense too, in a sense, but Michael Bush is 26 and he's still around 50 ish in a lot of prospects list as well without the defensive uh, abilities. So not really sure about that one. Yeah. I, I think also it's just hard to, he came out of the draft as this all glove, no bat shortstop. And I think for maybe some like other outlets, like pipeline, like we were also talking about before we hopped on, uh, they like to stick to those draft reports, and it's really hard for guys like Ortiz to kind of shake off that the, those descriptions. And Ortiz has done it, and yeah, it it wasn't a super successful stint in the major leagues, even though he didn't get a fair shake yet. But he still went back to AAA, and we finally saw a full season again. The health that's been such a big thing. He had that major issue between the COVID season and the injury and just other injuries he's had, he's never had just that full run. And he finally got that at the AAA level and he completely shook off that, you know, all glove, no bat uh, description that that was placed on him coming out of the draft. And so I think, yes, he's, I mean, in the, this just missed article that baseball America put out, they said he's a double plus defender with above average arm. And he's got the floor of a big leaguer, just defense alone, but I think it's like the hit. He doesn't have that elite hit tool like so many of these other guys do. And I think that's more flashy. And so when you're ranking these prospects, it's a lot easier to put the flat, the guy with the flashy hit tool or the 60 grade, 70 grade power over a guy like Ortiz, who, you know, as much as we love him, I, I think on a team like the Orioles, who you expect to be World Series contenders every single year, like Ortiz is probably more along the lines of just that super utility type guy who gets a lot of playing time, but he's probably not the everyday starting shortstop or the everyday starting second baseman for the Orioles. And so maybe that knocks him down a little bit as well. Yeah. And before we get to this next question about Ortiz, I'll just add on to that, that I think players who have been in Ortiz's situation where they were viewed one way coming out of the draft and then they have success, but they have some injuries along the way have a harder a harder bar to uh, have a tougher climb in these rankings it's going to be harder for them to make the list and they're probably the most vulnerable to coming off the list because their success that got them there seemingly came out of nowhere and no one knows whether or not to write it off as a fluke i don't think it's a fluke in ortiz's case but he needs that extended run at the major leagues to prove it and that goes now to this question from cali which is do you see Ortiz as someone who is used as a trading piece 
or do you think he fits into the Orioles' long-term plans, especially with the congestion in terms of bats and really up the middle with the infielders? I would add there too. I think you could go either way. I think he's either a headline piece in a semi-smaller trade if you're looking at like one of the I think I saw today that the Mariners might be back in on the idea of signing Blake Snell and trading one of their younger guys like a Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. I think Ortiz could headline a trade like that, maybe like Ortiz and Norby or something along those lines. And I think he's a very, very solid second piece in a very big trade. Like if it's Kerstad, Ortiz, and a couple others for your guy Luzardo down there in Miami. Um I could also see him being that utility guy. Like he's a starting everyday shortstop for the majority of teams out there. I feel like at least half the teams, I feel like he could be that. Um, but for the Orioles, I, I think he, he could have a place um, like uh, Ramon Arias when uh, the Orioles were transitioning from bad to good. He was uh, a guy that would get what four or 500 at bats in the, a couple seasons there by not necessarily being the everyday guy, but being second base, third base, shortstop, like just get in where you fit in. If there's an injury, you fill in. If someone needs a day off, if you need a defensive replacement late in the game, I think he could easily be that guy with like uh, Mayo Gunner Holiday in the infield. And then you have Ortiz roving around as you move guys uh, around as well. Um, but Westberg could be that guy as well, minus the shortstop. Uh, he could probably play it in a pinch, but – yeah, it's just – it's really tough right now, uh, and it's why we keep ex expecting a trade because there are so many guys that could fill so many different roles, so the flexibility, uh, veterans, prospects, rookies. It's it's very congested, as Callie says, and uh, we, it would be nice to uh, clear some of that up and take care of some other needs at the same time. I still have faith that that's going to happen before the season starts. I just think – yeah, there are probably some teams out there who view Ortiz as a definite upgrade over who they're going to roll out at shortstop or second base on opening day as of right now. And he could be an attractive trade piece. But at the same time, I, I kind of feel like from trying to think from the Orioles perspective, like let's say the bat doesn't show out as much as we think it can at the major league level. That, that defense been saying this for years and years and years like everybody highlights it because it's true that the term elite gets thrown around a, a lot i know i get that but it truly is elite shortstop defense just and so i think <laughs> i think just at the at his floor right mateo like okay if you want to keep him around for another year whatever that's fine whatever but i feel like at his floor keeping joey ortiz in the organization is a something that I imagine the Orioles would love to do because of that defense. And the bat is at least like that's even if it doesn't produce as much as we think it can, it's better than Mateo. I think he could have a, a more consistent bat maybe than Ramon Arias and give you that elite defense at two different positions. So I think even if he just becomes that utility type guy, that's an extremely valuable player to have on your roster. It's an upgrade over some a potential upgrade over what the Orioles are rolling out right now as you know backup infield types. So I, I think that also kind of makes him the Orioles a little bit more hesitant to want be so eager to move him. But at the same time, like Bob has said, if, if he's over there going to get you a frontline starter as a secondary piece, even it, it makes a lot of sense. I get it. We'll go now to baseball prospectus list uh, in just a moment, but it's interesting to see the different thought processes processes in play here is there's at least one notable difference on bp's list yeah you gotta you gotta think differently uh when looking at all these different lists and with list season's got me exhausted and and with list season coming up and i don't know about you guys but baseball season right around the corner as well i've been worried about not having enough energy to stay on top of work and family responsibilities keeping up with two toddlers running around the house and then dedicating enough time to produce the amount of content that we do uh, but as you all know, I've stayed on my Magic Mind routine. These small, all-natural energy shots are super easy to use. They do really do taste great. Have helped me cut out the afternoon coffee. And now that our content schedule is ramped back up again, I haven't been worried about finding enough energy for late-night recordings and writing. 
Magic Mind makes me more productive and more focused. I get more done in less time thanks to the nootropics inside that improve attention, concentration, and cognition, all without the jittery side effects. With all natural ingredients like matcha and lion's mane mushrooms, I would really encourage everyone listening to try it out as well. If you're having trouble being at 100% some days, it's been a game changer for me, and I think it can be a game changer for everyone listening as well. And only during the month of January, so you got another week here, Magic Mind is helping you crush your 2024 New Year's resolutions fully focused. Everyone listening can get one month for free when you subscribe for three months at magicmind.com slash J-A-N-O-T-V and use our exclusive code OTV20. It's an extra 20% off, which gets you up to 75% off. This only lasts until the end of January, so hurry up before it's gone. It's magicmind.com slash J-A-N-O-T-V and use our code OTV20 for additional savings. We'll go over now to baseball prospectus list. Just like Baseball America, BP has six Orioles in their top 101 with Jackson Holiday coming in first overall. What's interesting, though, is you go down the list, some of the differences. Samuel Basayo, 13th. Kobe Mayo, 15th. So Mayo, 10 spots higher on Baseball Prospectus list than he was on Baseball Americas. They have Heston Kerstad over Colton Kowser. Kerstad coming in 41st. Kowser, 51st. And rounding out the trio of Orioles outfielders on this list is number 82, Enrique Bradfield. I want to start with Bradfield because... I look at Bradfield as really kind of the starter set for a top 100 prospect. Two tools that grade out as elite in speed and defense. Speed is coming back around, it seems, in baseball. Excellent plate approach. The question, though, has been about the bat, which is why I think that he's fallen short so far on some lists. But I got to hand it to baseball prospectus for considering him because I feel like it's not – going to be too far into the 2024 season as outlets start updating their list that you're starting to see Bradfield pop up in like that 85 or 90 to 100 range. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I personally agree. Um, I think he's probably never, unless he really improves the bat, like messing around with the swing, <clears throat> getting a little more consistent, uh, impact with the bat. I doubt he'll ever be like a top 50, top 25 guy, but it seems perfect for like the bottom half of a top 100 list just because the, the floor is so high. Like, you know, he's going to be a major leaguer. There's no doubt in my mind, unless th- there's a catastrophic injury in place, he's going to play in the major leagues in his career, just point blank, just defense speed alone. Uh, and then if he can, and he's got a great eye as well. So like there's certainly skills there, even if he's like a 250 slap hitter that gets on base a little bit more than average and plays excellent center field, which he does and has plus plus elite speed, which he does. Then, uh, yeah, you're a major leaguer. Then if you're a guaranteed major leaguer, you should probably be on the top 100 prospect list, uh, in my opinion. So yeah, it's cool that they, they put him here. I expect he'll be on other lists. If not now, then soon in 2024, at least 2025. So yeah, I was I was certainly happy to see him. It's always cool when there's like a surprise or two and it's not just the same names rolling out uh, over and over again as well. And I would assume, I didn't see like who just missed their list, but I'm assuming Ortiz and Inorbi would be guys that were pretty close to, to rounding out the top 100 here as well. Yeah, I mean, future gold glove uh, center fielder is what I'm reading right here on go to go back to baseball America's report. Uh, sorry, baseball perspectives, but I mean, this is a guy who, if his floor is gold glove center fielder with who hits like 240, I mean, he's going to get on base at what 330, 340 clip. Uh, he had a 2% whiff rate last year in, in this report. So if you throw this guy a strike, he's not going to miss that, he's going to make contact. It is just a matter of the quality of contact uh, with Bradfield. And so if you've already got the 80-grade field, you've already got the 80-grade run. So stolen bases, speed, the defense, that's all there. Uh, this organization, we just talked about Joey Ortiz, the all-glove, all no-bat coming out of the draft. And look at him. Look at his AAA offensive numbers that he put up. Uh, with Bradfield, they may never come. The Orioles may not need it to come, to be totally honest. But if 
I have a lot of confidence in what this organization is going to be able to do with that swing and with his batted ball data. I think it's going to look a lot better this year. I, th- I could imagine halfway through the season, we're getting the John Mealy article that's diving into the data and we're seeing the progression that Bradfield has made. He's lifting the ball more. He's driving the ball more. The exit velo. I mean, Kobe Mayo, Joey Ortiz, Colton Kowser, Heston Kirstad. Look at all these guys. They're, they're 90th percentile EV jumps like two, three miles per hour. Some of these guys, four miles per hour last year. Bradfield isn't this jacked up guy like Kobe Mayo or Heston Kerstad is, but if you can add just a little bit to that and just raise that hit tool just ever so slightly, yeah, the path, his path to the major leagues is, is wide open and it won't take him long to get there at all. If Christian Pache mm-hmm. and Victor Robles can be like best prospect in baseball guys, then I think Bradfield could be a top 100 guy. Come on. Focusing on outfielders, they have cursed out, as I mentioned, ahead of Calder by 10 spots. On a recent episode, we talked about those players in the context of the Orioles' crowded outfield situation. And I believe that you both said that if you had to give up one of them in a trade to get a pitcher, you would deal cursed out before you would deal Calder. Because Calder's all-around skill set is a little bit better than cursed out's. Kerstad, though, as I look at the two players, has that one loud tool, which is the power. And Kowser, I don't think, really has anything in his skill set that comes close to that. So I'm kind of of the two thoughts here, which is that it is possible, if not likely, that Kowser has a better major league career. And that's why on my own list right now, he ranks ahead of Kerstad. But I could also see where you would put Kerstad in front of him because of that power tool. So I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I actually think the raw power is pretty similar between the two of them. The difference is Kerstad knows how to to get to it. He's a barrel machine. He he, he knows how to barrel up the ball. In-game, raw power to in-game power. He he knows how to to get to it. And, and often we know Kowser has it in him. We've seen him hit bombs. We've seen him hit opposite field shots and his problem and we saw it at the major league level and i'm sure this is what he's going to be working on is he and i i heard analysis of this like sorry i can't remember exactly where but he's almost like too passive he has that uh, gunner henderson syndrome from april of 2023 where it's like he knows what's a ball he knows what's a strike he knows what he can drive but he's almost too selective where then he'll get to two strikes and it's a little bit harder to He's got to be more aggressive in the zone. And I think if he does that, he can reach that power. But yeah, Kerstad, that bat is going to play. Whether he can learn to be better in right field, if he can learn to be better at first base, or he's just a DH, the bat's going to play. He's going to have a really solid major league career just with that alone. Um, Kowser, I would keep over him just because he can play all three outfield positions. He's got a great arm. He's He's got that power that he could maybe tap into probably not as regularly as Kerstad, even in the most optimistic take, but he's, he's got more outs as far as being able to uh, help a team in the long run, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's one of the more fun debates. I think when you're, when you're talking about the prospects and you've got team Colton Kowser, you've got team Heston Kerstad, like that's not saying that, one is a bad prospect and the other one's the good prospect. It's, it's kind of just falls down to your preference. And for me, it's, I think they both could be very successful in major leaguers. Kerstad could very well be a guy who bats, you know, four or five in your lineup and hits 30 bombs a year. And Kowser could potentially be a good leadoff hitter or number two hitter uh, in an MLB lineup. They both like still have to prove it in the big leagues. Uh, They still have holes in their games. There's going to be strikeouts with both of these guys, but yeah, I, th- I just think, look at the grades. I mean, hit tool, Kowser 55, Kershad 50. You talk about the power, Kershad's got 60-grade power, Kowser's got 55-grade. I mean, you're, you're talking about a mile separation there. The run, Kowser's got Kershad by a, a good bit there, although we watched Kershad leg out some inside the Parkers uh, last year. Uh, fielding, Kowser's got the center field defense. I think I think Kershad's defense, we might have mentioned this when we did that crowded outfield episode. I think Kerstad's defense it gets the Santander treatment. Let's say that repeat repeat that that it's it's better than what most people give him credit for. 
I think he can be a, a very solid corner outfielder who hits 20 to 30 home runs a year and is a productive major leaguer. But like, if you're asking me, one of them has to go in a deal. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards Kerstad because Kowser's got the center field defense makeup. The power is just almost just as good as Kerstad. He's just got to tap into it now. He's speed. He can steal bases as well. The hit tool, the eye is phenomenal, arguably the best eye in the entire organization. I mean, it's it really comes down to your preference between these two guys, I think. And I don't really think there is a right or wrong answer at this point. No, and I would add, too, that if you don't see a trade, there's a path for both of these guys to have the start, at least to start their major league careers, be in Baltimore, and for them to have success here because – they're really not duplicates. They're two completely different types of players who would fill different roles on the team, and both of them could help you win games at their best. And I'm going to transition now to Mayo and Visayo, and we're going to talk about them as well when we get into MLB Pipeline's prospects rankings by position. But to see these guys both inside the top 20 of a prospect list at their young ages, in Mayo's case, knocking on the door of the major leagues now, Basayo having that meteoric rise that he had last year, maybe not being too far from the majors at this point, despite only being 19 years old. What are your thoughts on those two guys? I think they're both underrated still. Um, Basayo, not as much, but especially Mayo, it's like, Orioles, we're spoiled. We are so spoiled. We had Adley, we had Gunner, we have Jackson, and it's like everyone's excited for Jackson, understandably so, like I was just talking about earlier. But Kobe Mayo, according to Baseball Prospectus, and even according to Baseball America, these are he's a top 25, top 15 prospect in baseball who is seasoned at AAA, 22 years old, ready to, to contribute at the major league level. Like that's if if we didn't have this recent run, it'd be like, oh my God, Kobe Mayo is the best prospect since Manny Machado. We've been spoiled. So we kind of lose sight of that. And there's two prospects better than him, according to these outlets. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's crazy to think that, that he's the, our third best prospect when he would probably be the best prospect for two thirds of baseball. Um, yeah. And I, I'm just so, so curious to see how he looks in spring training in the outfield um, at the plate with the actual extended run of spring training games. Like there's going to be some, some interesting decisions to be made and maybe they will make themselves just because of lack of room. But I think some of these kids could uh, force the issue where it's like, it's hard to ignore what they're doing in spring training. And then early on in triple a, um, yeah, it's going to be hard to keep guys like Mayo down for long if if they do. Yeah, the, the Basayo love is amazing to see. Uh, and I, I think really at this point, it's just kind of maybe we can touch on this when we look at MLB pipeline stuff. But it's like, who is the better catching prospect, Ethan Salas or Sammy Basayo, right? But uh, with May, my thing with Mayo, and I'm just I'm just going to quote from Neoli's right up here again because I think this highlights perfectly the adjustments that Mayo made last year at the AAA level mind you uh the walk rate went from 9.1 percent to 15.1 percent this guy was 70 grade power who hits nuclear bombs walking at a 15 percent rate at the AAA level uh that he cut his chase rate from 27 percent down to 23 percent the hard hit rate went from 31 percent to 46 percent and what did we see a lot last year? I, I remember somebody reaching out to me like, has Kobe Mayo responded to one of the, the Mayo home run videos, of course, that he's post like on a nightly basis. But someone was like, has Mayo ever hit an opposite field home run in his career? I'm like, actually, I, I don't know if he has up to this point. Uh, and then he gets to Norfolk and he hits like four, uh, two of them in the exact same spot uh, over there at Harvard Park. I mean, the guy just oppo bomb, oppo bomb, dead center bomb. You started seeing a lot more of that uh, by the end of the year in Norfolk. I, I don't think Basayo's final numbers, you look at some of his stats, are just mind-numbing. They're, they're, they're hard to really comprehend what he did at his age and at that level and the fact that he is a catcher, a massive human being behind the plate. With Mayo, those adjustments, I think, speak volumes about what we can expect to see uh, 
this coming season. I keep wanting to say next year. And I'm like, I know next right? season is like three, <laughs> three weeks. weeks. Away. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the thing with Mayo, like, yeah, that walk rate, like he is improving just like holiday. These guys, when they're so young, they can improve so fast and so much like it's, it's kind of scary. His defense got better. I think he's much, or I think he is absolutely enough of an athlete to at least be Anthony Santander out there in right field. Right. Um, I don't see why not with a, obviously a much better arm, probably a better arm than Austin Hayes. Uh, and everyone loves his arm. So yeah. Um, and then Basayo, I just, the more I look at his numbers and just put it in, it was the tweet from, uh, I think it was Orioles review where it was like comparing Basayo's numbers at 18 to Julio Rodriguez, Ronald Acuna, Wander Franco, uh, uh, a bunch of these, you know, Juan Soto, these amazing international superstars who killed the ball in the minor leagues at such a young age. Basayo had better numbers than like all of them, and he's a catcher, and he made it to Double A. Obviously, it was only a week long, but I mean, he was at High A for a decent amount of time and did much better there than he did in Low A. He's the one guy that like made Aberdeen seem like uh, it was at short season ball again and not uh, in high A. But yeah, uh, Basayo, again, just a freak of nature, the athlete that he is. And again, he's going to be 19 almost all year round. How much has he improved in this offseason? Uh, it's, it's crazy to think about that uh, even if the Orioles make no trades, they keep all the prospects, hoard them all. We could be the first team to all homegrown, like line up and just own baseball for the next half decade or more. We'll go over now to MLB Pipeline's prospect rankings by position. I should add that we're recording this on Wednesday night. MLB Pipeline's top 100 overall list is still a couple nights away from dropping, and we don't have their outfield rankings published yet, but we have most of the positions in, including catcher where Samuel Basayo ranked second in the game behind only Ethan Salas of the Padres. Connor Norby ranked seventh among all second base prospects, while Jackson Holiday tops the list of shortstops and Kobe Mayo comes in fourth behind only Junior Caminero of the Rays, Noel Ve Marte of the Reds, and Colt Keith of the Tigers. Let's uh, just dive right in with the Basayo-Salas discussion. Salas is the correct call, in my opinion. I think that what he's doing at an even younger age than Basayo uh, bodes really well for his future. But I wanted to note this, which is that right now MLB Pipeline has Basayo's field grade at 45, which is a substantial gap from where they grade Salas, which is a 65. And I'll read what Pipeline wrote about Basayo's defense. Uh, he's, quote, He's made strides there, too, and his plus arm helped him throw out 33.1% of potential base stealers a year ago. There's still work to be done on his overall receiving, but his bat will profile just fine at first base, where he's been getting comfortable defensively to provide with some positional flexibility, especially with Adley Rutschman behind the dish in Baltimore. I think that it's fair when you look at Pisayo right now, especially given how big he is whether he's going to stick behind the plate, but how much more development do the two of you think we could see with his defense? Substantial amount. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard. I think I know speaking for myself, it's extremely hard to sit here and kind of break down the catchers. I mean, just a hitter pitcher alone is not, not a scout. Uh, so not going to pretend to be, but uh, with, the defensive stuff, that's a lot harder to kind of get at. I I remember a lot of games last year and a lot of moments where Basayo stole a good number of third strikes. Uh, and you could you could tell when he stole the strike because he got a little bit more animated behind the plate in, in those games that I'm watching. He's fine. Like that write-up mentioned, you don't need him to be an everyday catcher uh, with Adley there. You just need him to be able to catch two or three days a week, if that. Um but with the debate there between Salas and Basayo, like, I mean, Salas did is two years younger. He's only seventeen, and he got five point six million dollars. Basayo got what, just over a million. So when you look at an outlet like pipeline, that's going to play heavily. The two year age difference and that signing bonus gap, 
That's the difference there. Um, would I prefer to have Basayo? I'm sure I'm saying this with orange colored glasses because we've watching him on a nightly basis do what he did, but I would say yes, uh, because the kid can mash. And Salas's offensive numbers really haven't shown up nearly as well as Basayo's had up to this point. But yeah, Salas, I mean, his scouting report, the defense is in, gets rave reviews. Uh, and so I, I think that's really the only difference there between those two when you're looking at a list like this. It's the signing bonus and the age. But Basayo's numbers are out of this world better. I want to start off and say uh, Ethan Salas is a fantastic prospect. So no disrespect <laughs> to him about to come here. But uh, I do think if you're talking strictly catcher ability, he's a better catcher prospect than Samuel Basayo. But I think Basayo is a better overall prospect than, than Salas just because he doesn't have to rely on his glove, which, like Nick said, he, he'll be fine. He can throw runners out. All he has to be is James McCann behind the plate, which doesn't seem too, too hard. And even if he, uh, Baseball Prospectus Future uh, Projection Podcast, uh, Ben Badler said, even if he's not a catcher at all, he's still a top 10 prospect in baseball with his bat alone. And we've seen him. He's a much better athlete, smoother out there than I would have expected given his si- his size, even at first base. So I don't think he's going to hurt you with the glove. And the bat is just so much better. Salas will be a good hitter, no doubt about it. And he made it to double A, but he played like a week in high A, or he barely played in high A and had terrible numbers. And then he promoted him to double A, where he continued to have terrible numbers. He did good against low A, which we know is, you know, not exactly the toughest test. So I personally had Basayo 10 in my overall top 100 rankings and, and Salas 14th. So I, I'm a Basayo guy, obviously, but uh, yeah, that's what I think. I'm going to talk about Connor Norby for a minute. He does not rank on either of the top 100 lists. We talked about that um, with Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus. He comes in seven on this list, which tells me that MLB Pipeline still likes him, but that he's probably not going to make their top 100 We've spent a lot of the offseason talking about where Norby does or doesn't fit into the system, what the future holds for him. I will say this, though, which is that I think if you break his season down, 2023 compared to 2022, I thought that this past season was actually the better year overall. And I know that there may be some... You know, it might be held against him a little bit that he didn't get to the major leagues and that he had much more time in AAA than a similar prospect in another organization would have had. But I still look at Norby as at least back-end top 100 material. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that Norby's 2023 was better than his 2022 season. And it, it did start out kind of rocky. But especially like the strikeouts, the swing and miss stuff. But by the end of the year, the guy was hitting the ball much better, uh, making a ton more contact, specifically just drilling home runs. He could take a fast earlier in the year. I mean, you throw him a fastball up in the zone, he's probably striking out. But by the end of the year, he's sending that pitch the other the other way over the fence uh, because that was a fun little battle. I know between him and Mayo, who's going to hit the most opposite field home runs. Uh, Norby can do it. Uh, I yeah, he's a bat first, second base guy who maybe the defense is, is average. Maybe it's slightly below average. Maybe he can work out in the outfield. Maybe he doesn't. But I think you still see a lot of guys with Norby's profile have successful careers in the big leagues. Obviously, the big question here is, is that going to be in Baltimore? It's going to be tough for him, obviously. But just looking at him, forget about who else is on the roster, who else is in the organization. Just looking at Norby as a prospect, maybe he does get overlooked just a little bit because of all that depth and he's hidden down here in this organization. But the guy's got power. The guy can steal bases. He can play a solid second base. He's not gonna dis- he's not gonna hurt you. Uh, he's not Jemai Jones out there. I'm just gonna bring him up his name up whenever we can. He's not gonna butcher the ball at second base. He may not get to everything, but he's not gonna butcher it. Uh, so I, I think he's gonna be a solid player somewhere. We'll see where that ends up being, but. He's definitely top 100 material. I agree. Um, it feels like he's been around longer than he actually has because mm-hmm. he sprinted 
to AAA in 2022, him and Colton Kowser both, but he just like, boom, got to AAA and then really performed well there at the end of the 2022. But 2023, I mean, it still was only his second full season in professional baseball. And he got to spend the entire season in AAA, which I'm sure to him was not a positive, but I think overall, as far as development goes, I think it's definitely a positive because, you know, you got to see him adjust and he got better as the year went on, which is what you want to see. And yeah, he could probably play a decent left field. He can play decent second base, but I think if he's on the Detroit Tigers, if he's on the Seattle Mariners, like those fans will be, as soon as they see him play, they're going to be thrilled to have him. And I think, uh, yeah, I feel like Omar's is, his meteoric rise in 2022 almost hurt him as far as 2023 went with expectation game. And uh, yeah, I think he's just super, super solid back of the top 100 prospect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's going to be interesting though, just because like I was talking about with Ortiz, do the Orioles want to keep him around? Because even if the bat doesn't develop, he's an elite defender who's going to provide value to your organization with Norby. It's like, the Orioles also don't have to necessarily be super eager to trade him because he could, if the Orioles decide they want to, I, I know we've talked about this before. It's messed up. I hate it. I feel terrible for the guy, but if the Orioles want to, they could keep him in Norfolk all year long uh, once again. So I don't know. It's kind of why I get this sense of like, if there is a trade, I want them to trade Norby just because he deserves to start every day in the major league level. And it's just not going to happen here in Baltimore. I don't think. And we'll talk a little bit more about a possible move. The Orioles might or might not make in our next episode, which is going to dive into the Orioles starting pitching depth as spring training approaches. In the meantime, you can check us out on our many social media channels. We are on Facebook, Instagram threads, X, YouTube, TikTok. We also have a sub stack, which you can subscribe to now. I will have a piece coming up here soon about Orioles who might be on top 100 lists in the near future, but aren't now. So you're going to want to check that out. Orioles on the Verge is part of the Believe Podcast Network. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge.